What's going on, everybody? It has been a hot minute since I have done a C2C live show, but we have not really been able to record one the past two Wednesdays with everything going on. Freshman Supplemental Guide coming out, all kinds of other stuff. I just wanted to give you guys a show. I know a little bit later than usual, and this will drop on the podcast feed on a Friday instead of a Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, but still wanted to get something out there. If you guys are new to the channel, and you like what we are doing, hit that subscribe and like button. We are trying to get to 5,000 subs at least before the college football season, and I know it's possible because you guys love us, and we love you, and we love college football. It's the best damn sport in America. we got the football game coming out here in a couple of months. I just I can't wait. College football is about to rocket ship up, and I can't wait to see what happens. The whole landscape is going to change. So today's going to be a little bit of a – Mix, mix match show. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, the freshman guide. We'll talk a little bit about the new playoff format. Apologies if you hear me opening a drink on the side here. Um, we're going to talk all kinds of different stuff tonight. And I do want to start with that. So the 5-7 format for the college football playoffs star, uh, just got approved. We were kind of going back and forth, uh, not knowing what it was going to look like. There was a realistic shot that the Pac-12 was going to get a for sure entrant into the playoffs and and regardless of of them having a winning record or whatever obviously that's really just being washington state and oregon state even though they are playing like a mountain west schedule now it is four i'm sorry five and seven so five automatic bids seven at largest now only four of those get the first round buys i'm don't want to assume too much but i think it is a safe assumption to say that the top five teams will be the four power four as we have it now with no Pac-12 conference winners and then probably the highest rated G5. However, that highest rated G5 will not get the bye week. I don't think. We'll see what happens. Maybe some G5 team just comes out of nowhere, blows everybody away, but I can't imagine they will. I would assume we're looking SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and the Big 12 as the top four who are ending going to end up getting the bye. So that is going to be massive for those teams like Georgia, really, I think it's Georgia, Texas that are competing to win the SEC. Maybe you can put Alabama in there with Kalen DeBoer. I still have my questions with Jalen Miller on what that team is going to look like, but if we want to put Bama in there, fine. Those three, I think, competing for the SEC. Big Ten, Ohio State, Oregon, I think are the main two challengers. I know Michigan just won the national championship, and you may look behind me, see the Ohio State jerseys, and say, oh, hey, he's biased against Michigan. It's not that. I know Sharon Moore is staying on as head coach. I think that was a great hire for them. They're keeping practically that entire team. I don't think anybody actually even entered the transfer portal, but they did lose a lot of really good players to the draft. I have questions about that quarterback room. I don't think Alex Orgy is the answer moving forward. And I don't know that Jaden Davis is highly as he's rated by the services and how good of a quarterback I think he is. While for us, fantasy football may not be a big deal. I do think he's a competent quarterback. I don't know that you want a true freshman stepping in and leading your program and possibly trying to repeat as Big Ten champions, or what is it, three-peat, four-peat as Big Ten champions, try and repeat as national champions. So I don't know that I would put Michigan quite in the category with Ohio State and Oregon, but I think just out of pure respect, you have to. So those three competing for the Big Ten. The ACC, I think, is wide open. You're looking at, I think, probably more Clemson and Florida State than anybody else, but Miami with Cam Ward, maybe they make a push. I think UNC's taking a step back. 
It's going to be an interesting battle there. I think that probably with the Big 12, those two are wide open. I mean, I think Utah has a chance. Arizona, I think, are, they're the two for me that I think are the best favorites to win the Big 12. All those guys competing for a bye. It's why I love I love the playoff format. I, more football. I get it. Some of these games are not going to be good, but there's just so many more stakes in these games, and everybody thinking, oh, when these teams have – you know, these these spots locked up that they're going to rest players. Okay, who gives a damn? The NFL does the same thing. Like, you guys, the the hypocrisy that goes on when we talk about college athletes doing something when the NFL players do it, like, is ridiculous. Who cares if Ohio State locks up the one or two seed in a bye and they decide that they're going to sit Will Howard and Quinshawn Judkins and Emeka Ekbuka in the final game of the season, which they won't do because it's against Michigan. But even if they did, who gives a hell? I mean, Ohio State fans will if they lose, but that's another story. It's going to be interesting. I'm all for it. I can't wait. But what makes it more interesting is that five seed. So they said there's the top five are guaranteed a spot, right? I don't know if that means that they're locked into the five seed. If they are, what I love about this format is that means that more than likely the highest rated G5 conference winner whether that's Tulane or I think that could be possibly Boise State I think those are the two front runners in my opinion right now from the G5 to kind of claim that spot if they get the five seed that means they get to host a first round playoff game at their stadium against who would end up being the 12 seed which is kind of where we have all been assuming the G5 team would be slotted in that alone I think is going to be amazing. Sure. The G5 team is likely going to lose more often than not in the first round. But if you go back through bowl history, and the main one that stands out to me is obviously, and I'm using Boise State here, Boise State versus Oklahoma with the hook and ladder and everything, and then pulling off that upset. Could you imagine if they get a Utah, it could be in Oklahoma. Some SEC team comes into the Smurf turf and they end up losing somehow to a, but like that stadium will go insane and it will go down as a great college moment. And that's what I love about the playoffs. Cause I, it does it, it while yes, it likely, I think nine point nine times out of 10, we're going to get a deserved champion because the better teams are going to have the better depth, the better players, and throughout this format, we'll find a way to end up winning the national champions. And and I know I've talked about this on another show, I think with Chris and Austin. I'm pretty sure I know Austin disagrees with me here. I think Chris agreed with me. But when we get those special runs from teams like a Boise State, and it may not even be a G5 team, even if it is like an, an Ole Miss, who I think, or a Penn State, who is considered a powerhouse but have never gotten a chance to get to that next level because they couldn't get past Ohio State and Michigan over the past couple of years. And that's a big discussion we can kind of put off to a minute here with James Franklin with the, the hires he's made this year. We'll talk. Actually, we will. We'll touch on that in a minute. They now have a chance to do that. And if maybe they lose to him in the regular season, but if they come back and beat them in the playoff and make that run, like it's going to make those runs so much more, in my opinion, special and more fun. And it's just going to make it more inclusive, which is all I personally want. Like I want more teams to believe they have a chance because the truth of the matter is we see it in 
in NFL all the time, right? Everybody says any given Sunday, we can see anybody beat anybody most of the time. And and the one I always reference is the New York Giants. The two years they go on to win the Super Bowls, they make these amazing runs as literally the last uh, team into the playoffs as a um, oh, I forgot what the word is I'm looking for. It doesn't matter, but they make a wild card. They make it as the last wild card into the NFL to go through win the Super Bowl, beat Tom Brady's undefeated and Bill Belichick's undefeated New England Patriots, right? We remember that. Eli Manning is revered for that. And if that happens in college football, I think it will be amplified 10 times more than what the NFL is because college football, in my opinion, fans are much more passionate about their teams than most people are NFL teams. It very much is european-esque soccer to me with with the way that they do you see the fans singing songs doing the dances i mean when you watch virginia tech come out to enter sandman the first they always do it it seems that they always have like that early weekday game with the thursday whatever friday when college football kicks off and espn's always there and it is electric when you have, I know not a lot of people don't like it, but when you have, you know, the Gator Chomp for Florida, when you're at Florida State and they do the, the seminal stuff, like it's, it is impressive. What is it? Wisconsin with the jump around. I mean, the big house. I mean, I, even as an Ohio State fan, I respect the big house and I would love to go see a game there one day because you just hear about how revered it is to be there and how deafening it is because of how loud they are death valley at night in an lsu home game a dream of mine to make one day when campus to canton does become as big as these three-letter networks abc nbc four-letter espn i will be at one of those games i'm gonna make austin pay for me to go to one of those games we'll cover it oh could you guys imagine that content felix and matt on bourbon street great content golden content we'll talk about that another time i i I just think it's going to be incredible. And I think that, yes, more often than not, these games are going to be possible blowouts, especially when it comes to those G5 teams against um, the P Power 4 teams. But I still think like we'll get those upsets every once in a while, and that's what we'll remember more often than not because it's going to be so magical to see, and it's going to be fun to like relive that moment. Yes, it's going to suck if like a – Boise State this year goes and like somehow finds a way to upset a Georgia who I believe right now is still currently the favorite to win a national champion. Like if you're a Georgia fan, you're like, this sucks. This is bull crap. I, you know, I, we should have been doing this and it's going to suck if they're especially the best team. Cause most of the time, yes, we want to see the best team win, but I, I really think that's going to be a small sample size that we don't. And it's going to be a lot of fun for those home fans. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how that works out. I don't believe they clarified if that, because it is the top five, get the automatic bids. If, that number five seed will get that, or like they're locked in as a five seed. Cause like I said, if it is a G five is getting a chance to host a playoff game. And that's just going to be so much fun to watch. I, I cannot wait. I think this is just going to be an amazing season for college football. And a lot of that, I think down also comes down to the, the football game. I mean, you know, EA, whatever they're calling it, college football, 25, it sounds like we'll be out sometime between May and August. I, I don't believe, or well, they, they're releasing the actual trailer, what it is in May. So we probably won't be getting the game until June or July would be my guess. And I think that is just going to ratchet up love and expectation for what college football is going to be. It's going to bring a bigger audience to college football, which is good for all of us who love college football. I personally can't wait. I loved playing the game. 
um, recruiting, doing all that stuff. I was in an online league with a bunch of people um, back when I was with Dynasty Nerds. I ended up breaking my laptop because I lost a game and chunked my controller. So I'm not excited about that part of it because I really get into it. But like, I can't wait because I think it's just going to open up a whole new world for college football, college football athletes. I mean, I, I do truly believe Madden becoming what it became was another reason to help the NFL become what it was. Not that it wasn't already a juggernaut in America and and is and will likely always be king. The one thing I think everybody knows to be true is that a lot of America wants more football and they want more good football. And the XFL and USFL, and I know they've merged together and I don't remember what they're called now. Um, like people were watching, it wasn't as much as NFL games, but like if you go down the spectrum of games watched, it's NFL games, and then it's college football games. The difference has always been college football has been more of a, oh, I forgot what the word is now. It's more more local. It's not a nationwide game. And I do think that the college football game, the expanded playoff format, the way these TV, TV deals are going, the possible super conferences that we have coming. I don't think it's going to stick with two like some people do. I think we will at least have three. I think it's going to stay at four, if I'm being honest. That, I think, is just going to continue to make this a more nation like a more nationwide game. And that is only good things for college football. So I can't wait. The, the college football game is going to be so much fun. I think it's going to change a lot of things here. I didn't mention James Franklin. And that is going to be an interesting thing to watch this year. They obviously bring in the new OC and the new uh, Kodalek. How is I say his name wrong, but Kodalecki, I believe is how you say it. And I believe it was Tom Allen in on the defense. Those are two incredible coordinators. I don't know how Penn State fans feel. So Penn State fans, if you watch this, drop in the comments. Tell me what you think. I personally am not a fan of James Franklin. He's a winner. He wins games, but he doesn't win the big games. Got a losing record against teams in the top 10. He's got a ton of talent, especially defensively. Done a great job developing defensive talent and some pretty good offensive players as well. But he hadn't gotten the results on the college football side of things. I think this could be a make or break year for James Franklin. If they are not able to get into the playoffs, which sounds crazy, but I think you're looking at probably three teams, maybe four from the Big Ten, Ohio State, Oregon, I think are practically locked in. So Penn State, Michigan, you think are probably those other two. We'll see. I don't think Washington, with everything they lost, gets in. USC, I, I'm not a believer in USC. So like Penn State seems locked in. But if they don't, could James Franklin be gone? I honestly think they should move on from him, but I also get the argument of, uh, I've made the argument with Ohio State fans talking about if Ryan Day loses to that team up north again, like, do they get rid of him? And I'm like, who are you going to bring in that's better, though, guys? Like, Ryan Day is an amazing coach, and I get it. It's not been a good stretch. Let's just forget the fact that he beat Michigan multiple years in a row, begin with his career, but whatever. You know, let's just forget that part of it. I get it. It's been a bad stretch. It happens. I would be very curious to see, though, what happens with James Franklin, especially because they have, in my opinion, a phenomenal talent at quarterback in Drew Alar, who they have just not allowed to open up his game. And I think it could really transform Penn State, Penn State's offense. I said last year, I thought with Urasek, no, it was not Urasek, Yurcich. 
there was a shot with the weapons that they had. I knew the receiving core was a little bit weak, but still with Singleton and Alar and that offensive line, that there was a chance that Penn State could arguably be the best offense in the Big Ten, and it came nowhere close to that. Like, that's how much I believed in Drew Alar and those weapons. It just didn't come true. I think that could possibly happen with Kotalecki. We will see. I really think James Franklin could be on the hot seat, as crazy as that sounds. So that was kind of where I wanted to go with uh, with the James Franklin thing. Freshman guide. So depending on when you watch this, it will either be about to be released or is already released. I believe this. I'm probably this will be dropping if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, dropping Friday morning. So you should have already gotten your copy uh, if you're an NIL member or if you pre-ordered it. Should be in your email. If not, head to the website, get your copy. I promise you, it is going to be worth it. We put a lot of time and effort into this thing. Uh, we do every year. It's it's honestly one of my favorite things to be a part of because it is. Something no one else is doing. Nobody else is talking. Like, yes, I get 24-7 sports, rivals, ESPN, um, on three talk about incoming freshmen, but not from a fantasy perspective, not in any kind of guide format. And we've had some pretty good hits with that over the past couple of years. Now, we've definitely had some misses. You know, Quinshaw Judkins obviously jumps to, to the lead of my mind with one of the guys, but then I also was very wrong on DJ Allen, wide receiver went to TCU. I was very high on him. I thought he had a chance to be really good at TCU. He doesn't even play at TCU anymore. Well, you know, sneakily could be good this year, I think, but we'll see. But I did want to talk a little bit about the guide here tonight, um, just to kind of give you guys like a little preview. If if you are, um, if you are thinking about getting it or you haven't got it, so we we do this max velocity thing where we we kind of put together the top arms in the class, measuring their throws, and I wanted to give you guys some of the top players in here, so. Anything over 60 is elite. And I believe if I remember, I don't have the whole table pulled up in front of me, but I want to say there's only like three players that have gone over that. One of which was Josh Allen. We have some guys with really good max velocity throws day on Batiste going to Wyoming with a 57 Jaden glass are going to central Michigan 56 Dylan Rayola, Nebraska 55 Tyler cherry going to Indiana and Trevor Jackson. Coming in as the number five in VLO, tied with with one other player. Um, walking on to Florida State, Trevor Jackson, a quarterback that I wrote up, I am a big fan of him. I think that uh, – I don't think that he beats out Luke Cromanhook, who is also going to Florida State, as it comes in with a 52 VLO. I don't think that that he will beat him out. So wherever he ends up transferring to, I think is going to be very interesting. He is, again, a player that I'm very high on. I was, you know, thrilled, honestly, to kind of get a chance to write him up because uh, he didn't come in as one of our top-ranked quarterbacks. I went a little bit out of the range uh, to write him up because I just, I just think he really is truly an incredible player. There's two other quarterbacks, though, that I want to mention. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about them because, again, I want you guys to go into the guide and look at it. Uh, but... One, Arrington Maiden going to Memphis, listed at 6'2", 204. I wrote up his profile. Uh, comps to Cliff Kingsbury, actually, which I think is kind of funny, but comes in with a VLO of 50. So still good, not great VLO. I, I, I believe anything over 50 is good, so he comes right in at like that, you know, medium mark there at 50. But for a dude who is 6'2", 204 pounds, he moves fairly well. Um, not a massive rusher. Like, I, I compared him in the guide, I would say more Ben Roethlisberger-esque. Like, he can use his legs to get it, make plays, but it's, it's not like the calling card for him. 
But what he does do very well is, is step up in the pocket and really good pocket manipulation. Uh, does a good job of getting the ball out, knowing where to go with the ball, um, has no fear of challenging tight windows in the middle of the field. He's a little bit of a gunslinger. Um, and I just think he's going to be a fun player to watch at Memphis with that volume. We saw what Seth Hennigan's been able to do, and I think Maiden is an overall better player. I think that he could be a lot of fun. He plays well out of structure, which I know their offensive coordinator, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, does. Um, he likes to have Seth Hennigan do those kind of rollout plays. And Maiden can do those perfectly. So I think he could be a lot of fun in this offense. He's kind of the one of the lower-end quarterbacks that I'm really excited about. And then the other one is Isaiah Marshall, who I also wrote up. Both are ranked in our top 150 overall players in the class, listed at 5'11", 205, going to Kansas. Now, he does come under that bar at 49 with, like, the medium velo, uh, but just a very fun player. And this is a guy who can do it all. So his coach compared him to current quarterback Jalen Daniels and why he liked him so much. But I just want to read you something. This is in the guide, but I, just, I want to talk about it because it's just impressive. He played all over the field as a junior and senior. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, defensive back. So in a game as a junior, um, he broke out with rushing yards because he was playing running back for the most part. A thousand rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. I'm sorry, at a se- as a senior though, in Help them lead Southfield to their first ever national championship. But as a player in that game, oh, no, it got taken out. That sucks. They took it out. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong player. That's why. Never mind. Was named the D-Zone 2023. This is the one thing you hate about recording these things without editing because then you just completely mess up. I was thinking of the wrong player. But three-sport athlete, basketball, football, and track, as I mentioned, broke on the scene as as a junior running the ball. Did take Southfield to their first ever championship. Really fun player to watch. The lack of depth at quarterback behind him is actually what is really intriguing to me. I think he has a realistic shot. He is Kansas's starting quarterback next year. I don't know their team that goes into the transfer portal to get anybody like a high value player. So he's another lower end guy that I really like um, that I, I think you guys should uh, take a look at. I do want to talk. I don't know if I should give my top shit. I'll give the top 10. I don't think that's given too much away on the show. So I'll give the top 10. Um, I don't know if I should do all of them. No, I'll do, I'll do the, no, I'll tell you, what, I'll do the top 15 all together. I won't, I was going to do top 10 at each position, but then I feel like I might get yelled at afterwards by Austin. So I'm gonna do the top 15 all together. So number one, which I'm going to be honest, I think is a tad bit egregious, but I get it. He is a really fun player to watch. It's Micah Hudson, wide receiver going to Texas Tech, coming in with an adjusted grade of 8.57. Here's the crazy thing. Number two is Jeremiah Smith, wide receiver going to Ohio State, also at a point eight five seven. So if we're doing this realistically, alphabetical order, Jeremiah Smith should, should be one. But I get it. We have a couple guys on the recruiting team who are massive fans of Micah Hudson. I get it. He is a really fun player. Like, I really don't think there's much separating these two. I just think, personally, Smith has a tad bit of a higher ceiling, but I don't think it's really worth arguing about. I think they both have a chance to be amazing players. And Hudson, although recovering from a knee injury, um, I believe he had knee surgery, but will be good to go by summer. I, I don't see any way he doesn't just have a good season at Texas Tech outside of like Baron Morton holding him back at quarterback. Number three is Dylan Rayola coming in at a 0.854. 
quarterback going to Nebraska. Again, we're going to see him likely start this year, or at least I think in by week four. I just I can't imagine he's not starting early on for Nebraska. Very safe floor, and I think a decently high ceiling. Like I know Felix kind of gets onto us when we talk about these quarterbacks who are not rushing threats, but like it has to matter for us in fantasy. It just does. I get what Brock Purdy did this year and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was a top 10 fantasy quarterback, but like realistically, those guys don't typically do that year over year over year, unless we're talking about the Tom Brady's and Peyton Manning's of the world. When you go through and you look at the fantasy standings, typically I would say 10 to 11 of the top 12 are guys who bring some kind of rushing floor. And Rayola is just not going to bring that at all. Doesn't mean he's going to be a bad quarterback. Doesn't mean we shouldn't value him highly. Clearly, we do. He is up here. So anybody over an eight is what we call a tier one player and what would you were, would equate to the services as a five-star. I believe I was actually the only one on the recruiting team that had no five-star quarterbacks. I did not put Dylan Rayola or DJ Lagway in that category. Both came in just under the 80-point mark for me because I just didn't feel like as good as they both are that they deserve to be there. Um, I just, I liked some of the other players that I've graded over the past couple of years more, just felt like they deserved more to, to be up there. And I don't quite see that with Rayola. So I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. Number four is, I just, I just mentioned DJ Lagway coming in at a 0.846. Now I get it. Uh, I do think DJ Lagway has a higher ceiling. And when it's all said and done, <clears throat> I could see Lagway being an incredible fantasy quarterback. He's got the legs. Uh, what was it over? I believe or right over a thousand yards rushing this season, 55 touchdowns. He has all the talent in the world, all the arm talent in the world, but his lower mechanics are bad. And I definitely don't trust Billy Napier to develop that. In fact, I assume Billy Napier is probably gone after this year. Who is a new coach that comes in? I think matters at the end of the day, whether Lagway stays at Florida or not, I don't think matters. Like he's that talented. And the fact that we have them so close together, 0.854 and a 0.846 is why I personally think Lagway should be QB1 in this class. We are a fantasy company, and you're trying to look for the best value, I guess, on your dollars, the way some people play it, and the possible best prospect. I think Lagway, if you're already telling me that as a guy as raw as he is, as a quarterback right now and what he does, and that is like reading defenses, throwing the ball, mechanics, like all of that is not where Dylan Rayola is, yet we still have them that close, tells me that Lagway should have been graded higher than him because we're saying if Lagway, who's down here right now in his development, is already that close as a prospect to Dylan Rayola, once he starts progressing and becoming better, he's going to he's going to shoot past Rayola easily when it comes to the fantasy side of things, which is why Lagway is my QB one. I get ranking Rayola where he is because of the safe floor, but like, I just think if we're being honest, especially when it comes to just like the fantasy side of things, like Lagway has a much better shot of being a bigger fantasy option than, than Rayola probably ever does. Number five wide receiver, Ryan Williams at at 0.824. So it comes as a tier one player reclassified, still going to Alabama. I think the ceiling, uh, as Michael Jordan says, is the roof with this kid. I think at the end of the day, he's probably going to be a lot closer to Micah Hudson and Jeremiah Smith when the draft rolls around. Now, he's not that far off 
um, in the rating system. Again, Micah Hudson and Jeremiah Smith both tied at 8.5 set, 0.857. Ryan Williams coming in at 0.824. For him to jump up that much after reclassifying, he still, I think, needs to improve a little bit at the catch point. Um, and it's still a little bit raw right, wide receiver, but like even then, I think that's not wrong, but he, he could improve. We have seen what, oh goodness, Kalen DeBoer, I, his name just jumped out of my head. What Kalen DeBoer was able to do with Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and Romo Dunze, I think that Ryan Williams is in for a great three years at Alabama. I think there's no doubt that he breaks out as a true freshman. Uh, this year for them. And, and just the ceiling, like I said, ceiling is the roof. I, I don't know that he gets drafted over Micah Hudson or Jeremiah Smith, but I don't think it's out of the question. He's a cr- incredible player. Can't wait to watch him. And again, we're talking about a guy who's also younger than both of them reclassified should be in the 2025 class reclassified to 2024. And is still that good. Six is Julian sand. This one's interesting to me. So I forgot to mention we're gonna we're gonna go back and 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 redo this. So Ryan Williams is the there's actually only one two three four tier one players for us in this year's guide for average grade. Micah Hudson, Jeremiah Smith both tied at point eight four four. Dylan Rayola point eight oh six, and then Ryan Williams at point eight one two. Those are the only four. DJ Lagway comes in at a point seven nine nine. That is the top of tier two, which is a four star player. These were adjusted grades that I was reading out. So Julian saying comes in as an average grade for us at a 0.764, but with an adjusted grade at 0.81, which does make him a five star player. The adjusted grade boost him a little bit because of him being a quarterback. Obviously it committed to Alabama with Nick Saban transfers over to Ohio state. Here is the one thing I will say on him. Don't draft him assuming he is going to be the next guy at Ohio State. If I had to put a cap on it, I would say it's probably 70-30 that he is the next guy. I think he is better than Devin Brown and Lincoln Kineholz. And I do think he's better than Aaron Nolan. But here's the thing with that, guys. Bill O'Brien was the first to start recruiting me at Alabama before he left. He had a relationship with Bill O'Brien. From everything I was told, that was a main reason and why he chose Ohio State after leaving Alabama. Bill O'Brien is now gone. He has left and gone to Boston College. He is already committed. You can't transfer again, I believe, unless they let you out. I don't even know if Ohio State can do that. I know you can get let out of your LOI, but he had already signed that with Alabama, then transferred. I don't really know how any of that works. I think he was stuck at Ohio State regardless. The thing with that is, is that Ryan Day had a chance to, to recruit Julian Sane, and they did, but they wanted Air Nolan. Now, I'm not telling you that Aaron Nolan is a better player. He's not. I do think Julian Sane is the better player. But a lot of people thought Devin Brown was the better player over Kyle McCord, and Ryan Day wanted Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord got that opportunity. You can say what you want about whether he was good enough to keep it or not. doesn't matter. He got it, played the whole year. Devin Brown was only used in goal line packages. And I understand he got hurt. I don't think that was changing much anyways, guys. So, just take that with a little bit of caution on Julian saying, I've seen a lot of people just assuming he's going to be the next guy up at Ohio state. I don't know that that's just set in stone. Number seven, Terrence Moore, TJ Moore, wide receiver going to Clemson. We have him at an adjusted grade at 0.795, but adjusted grade at 0.807. He is the last five star in the adjusted grades for us. So seven, five stars in this class for us. Uh, should be good. Uh, really good player. 
Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun at Clemson if Cake Pubnick can get on the ball. Number eight, running back Quentin Martin going to Penn State. We have him at an adjusted grade at .785, average grade of .762. Really good running back, much better athlete than running back currently. You know, if you're talking about coming into to college, like Nicholas Singleton coming in, I think he's going to be fine. We've seen what they've been able to do with those guys and, and turn them into stars. I don't know that he gets a lot of run this year just because of how good Katron Allen is as well. I think we'll see him a little bit, but I think wheels up for him in 2025 should be um, an absolute stud for that Penn State offense. Actually, I'm going to stop at 12. I, I, I don't want to give away too much. I wanted to go 15 because I want to talk about my boy Luke Croman Hope, but we're, we're going to go to 12. Nine, Cam Coleman, wide receiver for Auburn, adjusted grade at a .774. We got him averaged out at a 7.62. Big, fast, wide receiver, really good at the catch point. We'll see with Auburn. I think it's a interesting landing spot. Walker White, who does come in at 10, quarterback. I'll just give his stats real quick. .772 adjusted grade, .728 um, average grade. So with Walker White, he's been really inconsistent passing the ball, like really bad. We're talking like in the 50s completion percentage-wise. You want to see a lot better than that. But the players that they brought in around him, I think will help him improve on that. He's an incredible athlete, and if he's able to put that together, I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. We have seen what Hugh Freeze has been able to do with these quarterbacks and wide receivers in the past at these G5 schools in Liberty, and he was at Auburn. Wait, was he at Auburn at one point? can't remember where he was before that. Probably was, and I'm getting that wrong. I, no, Ole Miss. I'm sorry, Ole Miss. We've seen what he's been able to do with wide receivers and quarterbacks, especially from a fantasy standpoint. So I think it's going to work out. But I think Perry Thompson is actually the better wide receiver. I know Austin, I believe, and Corey Pereira, our Debbie lead, are both on that side of it as well. But Cam Coleman, just because of his size and athletic freakiness, I guess is the way to put it, he's got a chance to just absolutely blow everybody out of the water. Then Walker White, as I just mentioned, comes in at 10. Again, freak of an athlete as well at the quarterback position. Fairly strong arm, really good runner of the ball as well. I think he's going to to smash when it comes to fantasy in the Hugh Freeze offense. But he, if we're looking at him as a possible NFL guy, he really needs to improve on that accuracy. And he's a great kid, friend of the official. Alfred's interviewed him multiple times. Um, and he always talks about how he's improving on that. Could have just been the teammates around him. I know he's never going to throw any anybody under the bus. He's like a really, really good kid. So, I will be intrigued to see how he progresses with Hugh Freeze and Auburn. Um, I'm rooting for him. I really think he's going to be a lot of fun. Um, 11 is Mylon Graham, wide receiver going to Ohio State. So an adjusted grade of a 7.71. We have him average out at a 7.60. I actually had him as a tier one player, literally right on the brink. I graded him out, and he came in at a .800. I think he got knocked a little bit too much by some of our recruiting team because of what he did as a senior. He had a, a pretty, I will admit, massive drop in stats and as a senior. But he also got injured, injured his right ankle fairly early on in the high school season. And it's just funny to me that as a junior, where he did have his breakout year and, had, and played incredible, all of us talked about him as a tier one wide receiver and closer to Jeremiah Smith than anybody else outside of Micah Hudson. Or that he was closer to Jeremiah Smith than being like wide receiver five or six in the class. Now, we didn't know much about Ryan Williams. Definitely think Ryan Williams is better. But I hesitate to say that I think TJ Moore and Cam Coleman are much better than Mylon Graham. 
Mylon Graham is the kind of wide receiver that thrives at Ohio State because Brian Hartline loves to move him around. He reminds me a lot of Chris Olave, and I think that he has a chance to be that good. I can't remember who he was comp to in um, the guide. Oh, goodness. I know. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. I wrote up Mylon Graham, so I'm trying to remember who is. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, it's a very good wide receiver who I also think he plays somewhat close like, but he's also really good in the return game, which is why I don't think he'll end up as year one zero. Cause I don't think they're going to put Mecca back there. Don't think they're put Travion Henderson back there like they have in the past. I think he's going to be a guy like Mylon Graham, who's incredible at punt and kickoff returns for his high school. But I think he could be like that Chris Olave type, even possibly staying four years in college to kind of come back and prove himself a little bit more. Very good speed overall. Like I think is Isaiah Bond. Isaiah Bond. That's who I was thinking of. I think he does have some of that in him. Six foot one eighty five was over twenty one miles per hour. I want to say it's like twenty one five miles per hour. Um, in the guide, I just think he's going to be an incredible player, and I think he's getting a little bit overlooked because of what happened in his senior season. Uh, and then last but not least, number twelve for us, Florida State running back Cameron Davis. So adjusted grade of a seven six nine with an average grade of a seven four seven. I also wrote up Cameron Davis. Um, I think he's a very good player. Uh, a little bit raw coming in. Reminds me a little bit of like a James White, Dalvin Cook kind No, 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 no. Sorry, James White type player. Um, spent most of his actual high school career playing quarterback, and he actually did fine as a passer. Did not switch until rushing, I believe, until his junior year, possibly even senior year. He has top end speed, um, very good vision, and and very bursty as well. Like when he sees that hole, he's through it to the second level. I do think at times he's a little bit too much one cut and go, uh, but he does a really good job of getting through that hole into the second level. Will fight for every single yard. Has a lot of lower body strength. Will just like bully through defenders, but he does lack that high end speed. You are not going to see him score a bunch of the quote unquote home run plays uh, just because he doesn't have that high end speed. Like he'll get caught from behind. Um, and I don't know how good of a receiver he is. So the reports are that he was fine of it in camp, but from anything I've seen on his huddle film or going and watching some games, you don't see a lot of it. So I don't know it. You know, we, we're not at the camp. So you just kind of have to take the other people's word for it, that he was good in the camps. That's what they say. We'll see how he does there. I do love the landing spot of Florida state though. I know they brought in Roy day, Roy Dell Williams, and somebody else to play running back. I don't remember who, but like neither uh, Lawrence Toofili is, is there as well. Lawrence Toofili and Roy Dell Williams running backs for, for Florida state right now. But I don't think either one of those guys like inspires a ton of confidence to be that much better. And even if those are the main two starters this year for Florida state, I think they're, they're gone after this year. I think Cam Davis has a chance to really take over. That's it. You got a ton more in that guide, Matt. I mean, mile per hour. You know what? I'll give it to you really quick. Why not? We'll go. We'll go top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now I'll give you the top ten. Just don't tell Austin. Dwight Phillips Jr. going to Georgia, twenty-two point one miles per hour. Jason Patterson going to Kentucky, twenty-one point nine miles per hour. Caden Durham going to LSU, twenty-one point nine. Peyton Lewis going to Tennessee, 21.9. Derek McFall going to SMU, who can also play wide receiver. Wrote him up, fun player, 21.9. Cornell Hatcher Jr., Oregon State, 21.85. Dylan Riley, Boise State, 21.8. Ked, 
Kedron Young going to Notre Dame, 21.7. Frankie Arthur going to UCF, 21.7. And Nathaniel Frazier, Georgia. He was the one I was thinking about as I kind of compared to Dalvin Cook, 21.7. Guys, I'm telling you, buy this guy. One of a kind. Go to Camps to Can, 1999. It's well worth your money. We'll catch you guys next week. Like and subscribe, boys and ladies.